July 18th, 2023. We're in Masechet Besa and Daf Lamed Gimal Amud Aleph. If you count several lines from the bottom, we'll start again at the Mishnah. Says the Mishnah, Bili Ezer Omer, Notel Adam Kesam Mish Lefanav, Lahasos Boshinav, Umegabev Min Hehatser, Umadlik. Shekol Mashebehatser Muchanhu. Statement of Bili Ezer, initially here in the Mishnah, is a person's allowed to take a Kesam. A sliver of wood, Mishalefanav, which is out in his field or in his possession, Lahasot Boshinav. And his purpose, his reason in taking this sliver is to use it as a toothpick in order to clean out meat or some food which is stuck in between his teeth. Uh, we'll talk in a moment why you would have perhaps believed that it's Asur. Umegabev mine chaser, and you're allowed to collect from the field wood which is placed out there, Umadlik, and to use that in order to light in order to start a fire. Shekol ma'shebehatser, in each of these two cases, but specifically the second case, Rabbi Eliezer is telling us, mukhanhu, it's considered mukhan, it doesn't have a problem of mukseh. Now again, the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer doesn't per se lead on for us as to what may have been bothering someone. He's just permitting. He's permitting, number one, taking the sliver of wood with the expressed purpose of cleaning your teeth with it. And number two, taking any, any wood which is out in your haser, uh, out in your courtyard, in order to use it as firewood. Uh, what's he going up against? Hachamim omrim. Go ahead. Would it make any difference if the purpose was to be like you just said food out of the mouth, as opposed to just some people like to suck on the wood or massage your teeth, you know, like that? In other words, it, it, is it specific that it has to do with uh, cleaning your teeth? Not per se. It has to do with the fact that, I mean, we'll talk about it in a moment, that there's a fear that by doing so, or in such a situation, you're, you're doing a makeb patish. In other words, the fear is that you might take, um, we'll talk about this more in the Gemara, a piece of wood in order to fashion it as a toothpick. If you tell me people just pick up heke wood in order to use it without fashioning, that's not what we're talking about. Is it per se a toothpick? The Gemara talks about some sort of wood, maybe that you could turn into a key or something like that. So it's not per se they're fixing the teeth. It has to do more with the using it as a utensil. Hachamim omrim, twofold, we disagree. Number one, you can and may only collect the wood, which is mishilefanav meaning it's directly in front of you. It's not throughout your hatzer, throughout your courtyard. Umadlik and you're allowed to furthermore only use it, not to pick your teeth, or by extension, anything else, you're allowed to use it for fire. What if you're in the Hatser? Still, the, the, it's a good question. Joe Levy says, well, what if you're in the Hatser? In other words, you're not collecting, so to speak, from the Hatser, you're sleeping in the Hatser or something like that. Well, again, the, the problem for Hachamim is, um, is twofold. Number one, when we're talking about um, uh, being megabev sheba hatser, the issue over there, as Rashi explained to us, is an issue of mukseh. And it was the fact that it's spread throughout my courtyard means entering into the holiday, it's not per se on my mind that I'm going to use this, and as a result, it's not mukhan. So even if you're in the hatser, if it's spread throughout, the understanding, unless you really, that's your residence, but generally speaking, the idea, the fact that it's in your hatser and it's spread throughout, it's not on your mind. This gathering is enough activity to say it's out of your mind. Um, what about the idea that hachamim furthermore um, specify what you're allowed to use the wood for? Well, that's very significant as well. So the hachamim don't only have a problem of the gathering 
in order to use, which, affects, which makes it mukse. But furthermore, you'd only be able to collect or to pick up if it's with the express purpose of firewood. Again, that's an opinion we've addressed already. That's the opinion that we've been referring to more than once, that the only purpose that's usable with regards to wood on Yom Tob is for fire. So uh, that's, it does sound like point of Hamim, a toothpick would be fine because a toothpick is not considered firewood these days. It seems like a, a wood wouldn't be okay in the Mishnah because it's not a kheli. And a wood is normally made for hasaka. Um, in, in other words, what, what Jared is, is suggesting, but it doesn't, you know, you're not saying it finely enough, in my opinion, is he says, if it's already a keli, if it's already a utensil, then it's permitted. But the slivers of wood which are out in your field are not already utensils for picking teeth. They're slivers of wood. You'll now purpose it to be used as a toothpick. That's very different. Right? In other words, so the hachamim would agree... And I'll state it like this, that if you walk to your closet and you open up that little jar which right. has toothpicks, that it's permitted. Yes. Absolutely, because that was already made into right. a keli. Right. Over here we're talking about you took a sliver of wood, whether it's to, to pick your to- teeth or to use it as something else. But ultimately speaking, it wasn't purposed for that at the onset. Right. And that's the so issue using, specifically. Using that as a toothpick before, is, not, is that not purposing that as a keli? Uh, it is, but you didn't, you didn't specify that as before the holiday. Correct, so how could... Oh, okay, good. So you're questioning then, how is Rabili Ezer permitting that? And that has to do with the conversation I was briefly having with Jeffrey. We'll have to address that in the Gemara. That's where we're going to get into a question of of, of Makebe Patish, of putting the finishing touch on it. Again, you're not doing anything over here. You're only picking it up and using it as that. There might be a fear that you're going to sharpen it, you're going to crack it, which would be makeb patish, which ha- will have to be addressed. But in our Mishnah, we, uh, for all intents and purposes, have not seen, although Tosafot does already raise this point. Tosafot points out that according to Rashi's reading of the Mishnah, which is the way we were presenting it, excluding that conversation of finishing the utensil. According to Rashi, the whole Mishnah, both issues that we addressed over here, number one, the gathering, because it wasn't prepared, it was out of sight and out of mind, mukse. Uh, and number two, that the only purpose it can be used for is fire. Those are both mukse issues. And if you call this is what Tosafot was doing throughout the Amun, say, wait a second, you're telling me the Mishnah is just assuming we have mukse on Yom Tov? That's a machloke between Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yudah. Rabbi Shimon is lenient on this. You should at the very least be presenting both opinions, or Rabbi Shimon is the halakha l'ma'aseh. Our, our Gemara suggested at the beginning of the Masechet. Our Mishnah then is assuming yesh mukzeh. Again, the two issues, we have a machloke between Biliezer and Hachamim. The two issues really are a, a, an issue of mukzeh. Says, says Tosafot, if it's an issue of mukzeh, what type of presentation? So look at Tosafot, Piresh Rashi, Dibetarte Pelige. Rashi explains they're, they're dis- dis- disagreeing about two things. Number one, Dafilu lahadlik davka mishu lefarav, Two issues of Rashi, right? Number one, it needs to be Mukhan. And number two, it's only Mukhan if it's Lahasaka, if it's to be burnt. It emerges then that the Hachamim in our Mishnah are going like Rabbi Huda. Not the Halacha. They're saying Mukseh. This is really a, a dispute, a machlok between Biuda and Chachamim, lekach nirali, and says to Asafot, therefore it appears, de ta'ama de rabbanan de lekach atzur lachatzot shinav, 
The reason, here's the critical line in our Mishnah, before we even address this in the Gemara, which is what Jeffrey and Joey have already been addressing to a certain extent in our Mishnah, Gezerah Mishum Shemeyiktom. The whole issue in our Mishnah, according to the Hachamim, of picking up the slivers of wood from the field is not so much that I can only use it for firewood. It's specifically because I'm using it for picking my teeth and there's a gezerah. The gezerah is a rabbinic restriction. The rabbis feared that either, I said earlier, we'll see that in the Gemara, I'll fix it. Alternatively, I'll now pick it off of something that's connected to the ground. There's a gezerah, over here, um, and he cites in turn the Gemara on this matter. All right, so I think we've a, a little bit complicated matters, but effectively in our Mishnah, we've addressed then an issue of mukseh with regards to wood, and maybe we've already gotten into a restriction of the rabbis if you're using it for this. And it could be further you know, cleaned up and crafted to be a, a utensil, there's a fear potentially of the hachamim in that circumstance. Okay, concludes the Mishnah, and for our purposes today, we're not really going to focus on it, but we should again just review it quickly in the Mishnah. Umadlik, uh, excuse me, en motzi'in et ha'or, lo min ha'itzim, velo min ha'avanim, velo min ha'afa, velo min ha're'afim, velo min ha'mayim. So the statement in the Mishnah is you're not allowed to bring forth wood, uh, excuse me, fire, in any way that you might imagine. The Mishnah really delineates a lot of them, whether it's going to be by rubbing uh, rocks one against the other, or using wood in that fashion, or by striking it in the ground, or by using water, as, you know, it, it reminds me, of, through the sun, reminds me of like a magnifying glass type of way. Um, but uh, regardless of how you're doing it, you can't bring forth fire. Uh, Rashi explains, and we'll see in the Gemara, Mishum de Kamoli, there's an issue of birthing something. I'm not actually birthing something. Midrabanan, the rabbis feared that this is an inappropriate activity because you're, so to speak, bringing something that didn't exist beforehand. That's the Gezerah Midrabanan, or that's alternatively the Isur Midrabanan on Yom Tov. By extension on Shabbat, but on Shabbat to begin with, this is Asur. You're not allowed to be Mavir, you're not allowed to light a fire at all on Shabbat, you're not allowed to use a fire on Shabbat. On Yom Tov, when I'm allowed to do Havara, I'm allowed to, our Mishnah is making clear for us, use a pre-existing flame, I'm not able to start a flame. As I'm, it's only with Rabbanan. As I mentioned, this is the, capital T, issue, capital I, when it comes to electricity on Yom Tov. It's this issue. It's Molid Ish is what it's called. In other words, the question could and should be asked, but I'm allowed to light a fire on Shabbat. I'm allowed to, excuse me, on Yom Tov. I'm allowed to use a fire. These are melachot, this is a melacha havara, which is permitted. The answer from our Mishnah already is molid. And Yisumid Rabbanan called molid ish. There was, it doesn't really exist as much any longer, there was historically a debate about whether electricity is even considered molid ish. For a very long time, the early years of electricity, people used electricity on Yom Tov. Uh, we have Gidolim who attested to this. Aru Hashulchan attests to this and talks about it potentially being permitted. I'm told in America, both Ashkenazim and whatever Svaradim were here until the mid-60s, uh, strict adhering, law-abiding Jews were doing so. Rabbi Aluf told me a few years ago that when he was younger in Israel, until sounds like the late 70s, Svaradi, uh, many communities, his family included, who were strict adherents, adherents of halakha, would use electricity on, on Yom Tov, okay, very clearly on Yom Tov, until, in his words, the way he said it to me, Hacham Yosef, in his mind, 
conquered, uh, conquered the world on this matter and explained to everyone this is really an issue of Molidesh. Now, there was a discussion and debate that goes all the way back. I mean, if you listen to the class I sent in the chat, it goes back to That's quite sometimes in the early years of electricity, this issue was being debated. The question was whether it's considered Molidesh. I'm told by many community families that they, they have, for many years, from religious families, they would never use electricity at any other time, on Shabbat, etc. They would on Yom Tov. Where does that come from? It's this issue. Is it considered molidesh? And it has to do with how electricity works. That's really the issue. But again, you begin with an Isu Midrabbanan, you end with an Isu Midrabbanan. The question is where electricity fits into that. It's only because you're formulating it like that. The understanding is electricity is fire. It begins like that, right? The question is, in turn, is this... What's that? Rabbi, yes. sorry. No, uh, I was just wondering, is there anything that, that indicates that you could turn it on but not turn it off? I've heard something like that. I don't know if there's any validity to it. Okay, so important, important to be addressed. Um, when I get to the... I, I shouldn't have talked this much about it yet. When we get to the Gemara, I'll, I'll flesh it out further, Charles. It's, it's a good question. Charles is asking the difference between turning on and turning off, right? Keep in mind that what sort of thought would there be on that? Well, clearly, if it's purposeful, as I'm turning it on, maybe there'd be more room for usage in that way. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll return to this when we address it in the Gemara. The class that I sent was just to point out how this matter was driven, in my mind, with not a bad agenda, with a L'Shem Shamaim agenda, but in the She'elotu Teshubot Teshubah Me'ahaba. That's the first Teshubah to really address this matter. It's a student of Nodat Behudai, going back 200 plus years, when the, I guess the early advent of, of electricity and matters of that sort was really starting to be discussed. What he addresses there are two issues. Number one, he addresses the issue of electricity, which he says is molid. And number two, he addresses making soda on Shabbat or Yom Tov, which he also says is molid. Right? That's because you're birthing something, the bubbles, the carbonation in the water. Interestingly, if you ask, basically, not any, but almost any posek who's worth his salt today, they know we say that you're allowed to make soda water, but you're not allowed to use electricity on Shabbat. There's a little bit of an inconsistency there. Uh, so if they're both molid, why are you distinguishing? How are you distinguishing? It, it very much, at least in my mind, is driven by a positive agenda. This is what seems appropriate for Yom Tov. In turn, X, Y, and T uh, line up, and we're able to make the argument for it. All right, so longer, important conversation. I did confirm from last class the Halabim do use matches. Yeah, I don't know that I want to address that okay. all that much, though, but I, we can say it out loud because it's uh, uh, in terms of our Mishnah, what does seem clear, seems clear, is that you can't strike a match. Um, well, after the class, all right, we'll say it on uh, record. After the class, what I did say, because everybody's okay with this. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to be overly critical, though. I'm just going to say, that in the, I, I'm, I was told many a time from, uh, call it Halabi Jewry, uh, in the last 30, 40 years, that everyone struck a match, including the Hachamim in Halab, at the very least in the last generation. How to rationalize, how to explain, I don't know what they... It repeatedly state is, we have Masoret on this. This is our way and this is what we've always done. It's interesting and hard to square with our Mishnah electricity. We could talk about the dynamics of what's taking place. Striking a match, I mean, that's what we're reading about. That's, that's what we're reading about in the Mishnah. Okay, that's right. Something from nothing, quite literally. Okay, concludes the Mishnah. You're lastly not allowed to, with re'afim, which are tiles of some sort, you're not allowed to, with fire, 
um, uh, strike them and, and, and turn them into very heated so that you would roast on them. We'll have to address in the Gemara, well, what sort of issue are you dealing with over here? We're allowed to roast on Yom Tov. Because one is in terms of starting it, and then the last one is even if you're using it, that's what it sounds like. If it's not existent, it doesn't, doesn't seem clear. It's not clear to us what this last line is. it already existent? Then what's the issue? Is it not purposeful? It says even litzlot. We'll have to address that in the Gemara. Okay, but first things first, we return to the first issue in the Mishnah, the issue of, you know, the toothpick and the gathering of the wood in that respect. Says the Gemara, Amara Yehuda, Ochle behema, en bahen mishum tikun keli. Ochle behema means not those who eat animals, but the food of animals. We would say today, ma'achale behema. If uh, you're dealing with something that grows out in the field, which you could and would be giving to an animal, for example, says Rashi, kigon kash ve'ale kanim. If you're dealing with straw or um, uh, the leaves of reeds, uh, so in each of those two cases, you're dealing with something that's flimsy will be apparent in the Gemara. After all, an animal's chewing from it, on, on it, and, and eating it. It's something that's flimsy, and in turn, even if you're using it to craft something, you're snapping the, uh, the leaves off of the... It was already disattached from the ground. If it's attached to the ground, you have a separate issue of kotzer. It's already disattached, but I want to craft it in some way to turn it into a utensil. En bahem mishum tikun keli, it's not considered patish. There's no melacha in such a circumstance. Because it's hay? Because, it's no. It, it has to be because it's hay, because it can't be clay, though. So it, it goes like this. Since it's edible, what emerges from the Gemara is that that's a siman. Since it's edible for an animal, that means that it's, uh, it's flimsy, it's, uh, it's, it's not tight, it's not strong in that respect, and as a result, we don't see this as a melacha. The only time something will be considered a melacha, even if it's lasting, is if it stays, if it's strong, and as a result, I'm crafting something from like actual wood, or from something that's strong and was attached to the ground. Talk about wood. Talk about wood. Talk about uh, talk about something that grows from the ground. Talk about the actual reed, not the uh, not the leaves of the reed. The actual reed. If you chisel it and you turn it into well, you name it, that's asur. But the initial statement then is ochle behema en bahemishum tikun keli. Says the Gemara etiver Rav Kahana le Rav Yehuda. Rav Kahana in turn is asking a question on Rav Yehuda, which according to Rashi's reading of the Gemara, Rav Yehuda is going to applaud him and say, "What? Wow, what a question! You could have asked me lighter. You really knocked me out with this one." He quotes him a bit. The Beraita says, "Metaltilin atze besamim lehariach bahen ulhanif bahen lechole umolelo umeriach bo velo yiktemenu lehariach bo vimketamo patur aval asur." Um, so says, says, the, uh, um, says the Mishnah over here, excuse me, and then it says, lastly, "Ahatzotz bo shinav lo yiktemenu vimketamo hayav hatat." So the Beraita has uh, several statements over here. First and foremost, we're dealing with Aseh Bisamim. So it's a cinnamon of some sort or any other uh, pleasant smelling Etzim, uh, maybe Hadassim. Uh, says the Mishnah, Metaltilin Aseh Bisamim. You're allowed to carry that, again, assuming it was already detached before Yom Tob. Um, what's your purpose in carrying it on Yom Tob? Uh, you want to smell from it. Uh, that's permitted. You're allowed to furthermore use it. And I imagine we're not dealing with cinnamon over here. I imagine we're dealing with hadassim because you can wave it for someone who's not feeling well, for someone who's ill and needs the air. You can use it uh, as, as such a, a feature as well to wave it back and forth. 
continues the Mishnah, Limlol, if you recall, means to crush by smoothing it in between your fingers or in between your hands. So you're taking it and you're smoothing it together in order to bring forth the smell, you're allowed to do that as well. So the first three permitted actions, to carry it in order to just drink, uh, smell it. Number two, to wave it. Number three, even to crush it in order to smell it. However, you're not allowed to snap off from it. You're not allowed to break off in order to get the moist part of the smell coming forth from, imagine, hadasim. even if it's in order to smell it. What if you went ahead and did so? Patur aval asur, aval asur. You're uh, not liable for a punishment, meaning it's not asur from the Torah, but it's asur, it's rabbinically prohibited. Of course, that's right, with your hands, even with your hands. So what's the, what's the isur? No, the lashri is no? Not yet, that's the next line. La hasot bashinav is hayav hatat. First, Rashi. All right, you want to blow? You want me to read it from Rashi? You heard me say those words because you want the moistness of the place where you snapped it all from. You want the smell in turn to permeate by breaking it. You're not just holding it to your nose by snapping it off. You kind of spread that. What's the reason that this is asur midrabanan rabbinically gezera? It's a restriction, rabbinically speaking. Why so? What are the rabbis nervous about? Delo lete, so that you won't come lekotmo lahatzot boshinav. The fear is you'll in turn be looking at these plants, at these growths, and say, I'm not just going to smell it, which is permitted. I'm going to chisel it. I'm going to craft it. I'm going to turn it into a toothpick. That is asur min Torah. The hatam keli mishavele by turning it into a utensil, it's asur min haTorah. The ika isura de oraita, and by doing so, you'd be violating a biblical violation prohibition. Which means to say, again, I'm picking up, imagine hadasim or something else that smells good. I have no intention of creating a utensil, of creating a, a toothpick of some sort, but I do snap off the top in order to smell from it. The rabbi said, oh, one second. If we permit you to do so, even to smell from it, you might in turn come to say, well, if I'm allowed to snap it off to smell from it, I'm allowed to snap it off and craft it, even with a utensil, with my hand, in order to turn it into a toothpick, rabbinically prohibited in turn. How is this different though than Rabbi Eliezer was talking about? It might not be. And you in turn understand... A hundred percent sure. You understand why this is being mentioned in our Gemara? Concludes our Mishnah, Abaraita, a hundred percent sure. When we're going to have to come to Bileazim Chachamim, maybe ten lines from now. Aval Asur Lachasot Boshinav. What's expressively and very clearly Asur, not only Midrabbanah, not only from the rabbis, but even from the Torah, is to snap it in order to fix your teeth. Now that's clearly Asur, that we know. In other words, our Mishnah, just remember, um, Joey, was not talking about where you fixed it. I mean, Shnav was only talking about, I picked it up, it was there, and I'm using it. You didn't, no, but you didn't do an action. You didn't do an action. It's an interesting thought, because we did see such a concept, but let's, let's leave such a concept out. You didn't do an action to it. You just picked something up that wasn't purposefully set for that, right? You didn't purpose it for anything. You left, it was out in the field. I woke up in the morning, I had lunch, and I said, oh my goodness, that thing about it. Honey, we don't have any toothpicks. Let me go out into the field and pick up one of the pieces from that. That's what it is in our Mishnah. Uh, this Beraita is stating, however, if I do an action to it, for not the reason of turning it into a toothpick, for something else, there's an isumit rabbanan because you might in turn fix it into a toothpick. You might in turn think that what's that's a suminat Torah. That's ex, that's explicit. Yes, Charles.
want, but just real quick. So let's say sometimes you have a wood toothpick and it breaks in half and you continue using the, the, the sharper head. Saying, is that any, any issue? It's a good question. Not that I know of, but let me speak it out quickly. Um, but, but actually, let me finish the Beraita and then return to that because the last line in the Beraita is very important, right? The last line in the Beraita says, Lahatsot boshinav. You can't break it with the express purpose of using it as a toothpick. Why not? That's asumina Torah. If you went ahead and did so, you're liable to punishment from the Torah. You did it because you didn't know the halacha. You have to bring a korban. What's that? Oh, so that's similar to what Charles has asked. Charles said, Charles is asking inadvertently, you're asking purposefully. Charles said, what happens if I'm picking my teeth with the toothpick, and I think this happens to everyone, and you broke it? Uh, can I now use the two pieces? It's an interesting question. The only issue we'd be dealing with is a Gezerah Medrabanan. Let's be clear about that, right? The only issue would be a Gezerah Medrabanan because you didn't turn it into a utensil. You're not doing that purposefully. You're at most dealing with the case of the smelling, right? I used it for another reason. I'm also not certain that it would be per se an issue because I don't, you're then using the remnant of what was already a toothpick over there. It's a toothpick. You're using a toothpick, but he's saying you finally crafted the toothpick further. But I think it was already finished. I think it's finished. It happens to be it became sharper through doing so. I, I, I want to say, although, you know, I, unless we could think of a reason why not, I want to say that would be mutar. Um, but that, that's the statement in turn in our Gemara. Could you, um, uh, uh, Eli asks further, he says, could you be crafting it with your teeth? Well, you, you put it into your mouth and crafted it. I, I do understand you'd be doing it bishinui in such a circumstance, so maybe we'd bump it down. But if you're still crafting your utensil purposefully, it's still asur. But he's saying you're doing it in a roundabout way, so maybe only midrab banan. All right, but the question in turn in our Gemara, 100%. That's the knockout. That's the TKO, it seems like, right? So the statement in turn in our Gemara goes like this. We started the Gemara with Rav Yehuda. Rav Yehuda's statement is that when it comes to um, items edible to animals, there's no issue of, of asiyat keli. No problem makeb patish. What we suggest, what we say, it's flimsy enough. It's not considered makeb patish. It's not considered crafting utensil. The question in turn, what are you talking about? What's our beraita talking about? Beraita seems to be talking about, I suggested as we read it, hadassim, flimsy, edible to animals for all intents and purposes. And says the beraita, not only is it rabbinically prohibited, it's biblically prohibited. You're not allowed to do that with the express purpose of turning it into a toothpick. Rav Yehuda, you told me there's no such thing as a problem when it comes to ma'achal behema. Amar le responds Rav Yudara to Rav Kahana, reading it like Rashi, Hashta patur kakashiali, hayav hatat mi ba'aya. He says to him, if you were to just find a case in the Beraita where it says, I'm taking ma'achal behema, food of an animal, and there's a rabbinic prohibition in purposefully crafting it into utensil, that would have been a question on me as well. My first statement in the Gemara, top of the pages, There's no problem whatsoever if you're taking something which is soft and malleable. Uh, but you're asking, if you would have even told me it's just rabbinically prohibited, uh, you would have had a question on me. Uh, now you tell me, Hayav hatat mi ba'aya, means that's a, it's a uh, rhetorical question. Do you, uh, you think that this isn't a question? You knocked me out with this. You're telling me that my statement is so far off that it's not only rabbinically prohibited when I said it's fully permitted, it's biblically, it's from the Torah, Asur. Uh, that's the question. Answers Rav Yehuda to Rav Kahana, however, Ela, rather, perhaps we can suggest that my case is different than the Beraita's case. 
Rabbi Yudas permitted case of using ma'achal behema in order to craft it into a toothpick or anything else, a door stopper or a door opener, whatever it is you're going to use it for, is different than the case in the Beraita, but it seems so similar. The case in the Beraita, bekashin, period. The case is you're dealing with, words of Rashi, inedible to animal items. You're dealing with branches. You're dealing with hardwood. You're dealing with something that's not, we imagined it as, um, as hadasim. Not hadasim. Hadasim are not hard. Uh, what is it? Maybe cinnamon. Maybe something that's strong. Maybe actual reeds. In such a circumstance, I never disputed that, says Rav Yehuda. I agreed and I made clear from the beginning, the only permissibility over here is ma'achal behema. That's not ma'achal behema. The Beraita never said it's edible to animals. The Beraita, we assumed, was talking about something which was flimsy because we assumed it was something that smelled good and we were imagining something that's not strong. It wasn't so. Says the Gemara, really? It's something that's not, that is strong. The Beraita is talking about a strong item. One second, do you remember all the words of the Beraita? What else did the Beraita say? The Beraita said, Molelo umeriahbo. You can, exactly as I'm doing, you can put it in your fingers and rub it and smell it. You're telling me you're dealing with bisamim, cinnamon, or something strong, and you're able to crush it with your finger? No such thing. Clearly, you're talking about something strong. Kashin bin who? Question mark. Are you telling me that something that's strong can be crushed with your fingers in your hand? That's not so. So clearly this Beraita, your, your, your a way of defending Rav Yehuda that the Beraita was talking about, no, strong and not edible to animals, it can't be. The Beraita gives a detail in its words with regards to something that's not strong. Answers Rav Yehuda, you forced my hand, and I have to suggest like this, hasure mehsera vehache katane. Haser, in contemporary Hebrew, we say it in the school, at least we used to, haser means absent. Uh, absent means something's missing, of course. So hasure mehsera means there's words missing from this beraita. Vehache and like this, katane, it was taught. Which means to say, we do this sometimes in the Mishnah, we do it oftentimes in the beraita. If we're, last case scenario, when we're really pushed against the wall and don't know how to defend ourselves, but we're certain about the law, the Gemara will sometimes suggest the beraita or the Mishnah is missing some words that you need to fill in. Of course, I've said it a hundred times because I subscribe to such, such a notion in the Perush Tiferet Israel to the Mishnayot, elsewhere, somewhere in Seder Kodashim, he suggests the reason the Gemara feels comfortable saying this is based on their tradition with regards to how Mishnah and Beraita was learned. Mishnah and Beraita was learned Ba'alpeh, it was learned orally, and as a result, something that's oral, the best way to have it is short worded. You want it to have a beat, to have a rhythm. You want to chant it. You want the kids and adults to be chanting the Mishnayot and the Beraitot. As a result, it's necessarily going to miss word, be missing words. If it's necessarily going to be missing words, you're going to have to fill in those words. So the Gemara doesn't want to do this as its first uh, way of resolving, but ultimately, being pushed against the wall, it says, The reason the Beraitot was like that was so that it was easy to remember and memorize. But let me tell you what it really meant. How was I supposed to know what it really meant? Tradition, you were supposed to study with your rabbi or with your colleague or with the mentor, with the scholar who was going to tell you, here's how to read it. Let me tell you how to memorize it. Now let me tell you how to understand it. Anyway, says the Gemara, says Rav Yehuda, here's how you should read it. It goes like this. There are two cases in the Beraita. Number one, you're allowed to crush it with your fingers and smell from it. And you're furthermore allowed to um, snap off from it and smell from it. I didn't see those words in the Beraita. When is it so that you're allowed to A, smooth it with your fingers in order to crush it, and B, snap it off? Berakin. 
when it's not strong, uh, when it's soft, that's the word, that's not strong, it's soft, indeed. Thank you, Jared. No, no, sometimes the word isn't there for me. Um, so if it's soft, aval, adding these words into the beraita in order to make it clear. Bikashin, if it's hard, lo yiktemenu vim ketamo, patura velasu, lahatot boshinav, lo yiktemenu vim ketamo, hayav hatat. The last part of the beraita then is explicit, according to this reading, says Rav Yehuda, distinguishing between soft and strong, soft and hard, and as a result, that's our halacha then. Rav Yehuda rests his case. His statement was in the opening line of the Gemara, if I'm dealing with ma'achal behema, there's no ma'keb patish. If I'm alternatively dealing with something that's strong and hard, there is ma'keb patish. We challenged it from this beraita, and we dealt with it um, by suggesting that's what the beraita meant. Maybe the words were not as clear and straightforward. Says the Gemara, let's move a little bit further in terms of asking a contradiction, which again, Joey, will bring us back to our Mishnah, or back to the opinion of Rebiliezim Hachamim. Tane Hada. And we have one Beraita which taught the following. Kotmo Meriachbon. Those are the words we just saw. Vetanya Idach. We have another Beraita which says, Loik Temenu Lahariachbon. It seems like a blatant contradiction. Are you allowed to snap off? Are you allowed to break anything in order to smell from it? One seems to suggest yes. The other says no. Blatant contradiction in Beraita. You have two opinions you can point to. Sometimes we'll do that. Alternatively, Amar Bizera, Amar Hasta, Lakashia, Habrakin, Habekashin. The Gemara is really strengthening the approach until now by, by delineating, by distinguishing between if it's strong or soft. If it's hard, well, Asur. What's the issue when it's hard? The issue when it's hard again is patish. The issue is you're turning it into a utensil. What if I had intention just to smell from it? Gezerah. Rabbinically, you might in turn uh, convert it into or, or have in mind that I could turn it into a toothpick. Why is it not a problem when it's rach, when it's, when it's uh, soft? The answer is in such a circumstance, there's no isur of patish on soft items. It's only on stronger wood. Okay, here says the Gemara matkif, and we're going to have to suffice with the question for now. Matkif la rav ahabar Yaakov bekash question mark. You told me, Rav Yehuda, and you were strengthened from the Beraita or Beraitot that followed thereafter, that the only time it's permitted to snap off, to break from it, with again the purpose of fragrance, of smelling from it, even so, is if it's soft. If it's hard, even though my intention is just to smell from it, there's a rabbinic violation. Natural use, and it's my purpose. Rabbinically speaking, if it's hard, violation. Why? Restriction, maybe I'll come to fix. What are you talking about? What about the following? How is it different than the Mishnah Masechet Shabbat? Shover Adam we have an explicit Mishnah, Masechet Shabbat, a well-known Mishnah, a Mishnah which gets addressed, and we will, as we conclude the Gemara, in the context of cans on Shabbat. And you'll understand why in a second, because the, the Mishnah in turn says the following, you're allowed to, if you have a barrel which is closed up at the top with mud or cement of some sort, and in order to take that off, you have to sever it with a knife or some other utensil, you're allowed to do so. Uh, what's inside of the barrel happens to be grogerot. It could be anything else. Grogerot means, I think, uh, figs, dried up figs. So you have a barrel filled with dried up figs, and I'm slicing off the top. Uh, permitted or not permitted? Says the Mishnah explicitly, 100% permitted. Why is 100% ilbuvad? Uh, provided that my intention is to take from the food inside. What, was it, what if my intention was to make a barrel, a usable barrel? Then it would be vi- a violation from the Torah, my Patish. Wait a second, says the Gemara to Rav Yehuda. Wait a 
wait a second, you're telling me over there, my intention is to eat from the food. That's the normal usage and I'm slicing off the top, no problem. But you made a utensil, that wasn't my intention, my intention was to eat from the food. Oh, so then why when it comes to the hard um, uh, item which I'm snapping in order to smell from it, is it rabbinically, or excuse me, even a soft one, if, uh, excuse me, a hard one, why is it rabbinically pro prohibited? It doesn't smell beforehand? It doesn't smell enough. Whatever the point is, my intention is, my intention, you, you're, you're, uh, so in other words, Jack, you're suggesting, since I could have smelled it before, but apparently I couldn't smell it to the extent that I wanted to. I'm snapping it in order to smell from it. The rabbi said, ah, asur. Why? Because if you had the wrong intention, it would be asur from the Torah. Why is it any different than over here, where with the right intention, it's completely permitted. With the wrong intention, it's asur from the Torah. Seems like a, a blatant and straightforward contradiction. We'll have to address that tomorrow. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.